of the editing, like he's yeah. the one who gets like bent out of shape yes. because Susan yes. doesn't follow yes. the rules. And, and, yeah. and also because Susan well, doesn't talk to the microphone. No. And look, there's Susan then. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We're like an old, we're like an old, old marriage. I was going to oh, say yeah. that. Yeah, I know. totally. I know. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast. The best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Welcome, everyone, to the next edition of the Per Podcast. And if you're wondering who this is, this is Serge Shalhoub, the actual invited speaker who is introducing you today's topic. May I introduce you, our hosts? Yeah, Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. <laughs> and Dr. Susan Little. Yeah. <laughs> so and Canadians are so easy. Yeah, you did an awesome job, by the way. You did. You know? Thank you so did. Much. Um, can, can you come more yeah, often? Do you, uh, you know, our do you need MC? a gig on the side? I'd love to, sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I think you have a perfect voice for this thing. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah he did really well. He has so, a great voice. Uh, I and know. I think we need, we, maybe we should, yeah. We, we can pre-tape it, so yeah, we if like you this. stay a little longer, we'll yeah. have a couple more. <laughs> we'll have you do a bunch of intros. You got it. I yeah. could do that. This yeah, there's a... one problem. Um, uh, the residuals check is very small. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. But we do have a PA that can run for anything you want. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds exactly. good. Yeah. Coffee, we can pay you in coffee. Yeah. You know, so I think, I think now is the time that we officially need to thank our PA. Yeah, And maybe you want to take a... That's 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 true. So um, this is the first time we've had a podcast assistant. Yes. And oh. and um, you have had the benefit of communicating with our podcast yes, assistant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is a good time to thank Ben Javinsky, who just Yay. yeah, thank just, you. Yeah, who has been helping us organize yes. um, podcasts lately. And yes. I've I've discovered that I kind of like having an assistant. I, I bet. <laughs> no, normally I'm the assistant. So you know that's where Yola thinks he's the assistant. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's a, it, Yola has assigned himself. She the is role. a tough act to follow. <laughs> just you know, <laughs> Where is she now? Oh, she's there. Yeah, yeah, no. she's All right. So, um, Serge, yes. welcome to the podcast. It's wonderful that you are here. Thank you so and much. I'm very excited because yeah. we're talking about a lot of uh, stuff. Yeah. Uh, do we want to explain the rule? Do you want to explain the rule? Okay, we'll tell you there was one rule. There's rules. There's only a one rule. rule. Oh, one. There's a rule. Yeah. That's a rule. Uh, and some people are really good at the rule and some people aren't. So the rule yeah. is, it's a feline medicine podcast. Yep. So there's a word Cats you can't only. say. What's that? It begins with D. It begins D. Yeah, D. Yeah. D. 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 Oh, oh. Yeah. D. I was like, <laughs> see, I was already on the cat stream, so I, I couldn't Good. think outside the box. There, yeah, maybe so. we shouldn't have told you. Gotcha. So if you yeah. do say that word, yeah. um, we keep count, yes. and you also drink for That's every time you say it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So some people are really good at, like Stan Marks. We had yep. on Stan was amazing. He was he really? Many different ways it not to say. Yeah. <laughs> many different ways not to say the D word. And other people just like give up and emoticons. You got it. All right. Yeah. I will do my best. So yes. like no yeah. pressure. Yeah. No pressure. And I don't like wine anyway. So oh, we expect there. the Magnum. All right. You got it. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to drink it. We Yo, do. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 So much wine with Christmas, you know. I know. I think about it. Yo, all excited now. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I'm particularly excited that you're here because you're Canadian. Yeah, you're how Canadian. Many, how many Canadians have we had on? Uh, quite a lot now. Yeah, well, oh, wow. now. <laughs> now that you've been in Canada. We're, yeah, yeah, because yeah. we've been taping it in Canada. Kind of yeah. 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 So helps. tell us a little bit about yourself, um, Serge, and uh, like how you how you got your start in veterinary medicine and what you're doing You now. got it. Yeah. yeah, so I was born and raised in Montreal yeah. and uh, went to vet school in French there at the University of Montreal. Yeah. 
did my internship there, two years as an emergency doctor, and then did a residency at the Animal Medical Center in New York, followed by a renal dialysis fellowship. Um, And of course, most of our patients were cats that were Mm -hmm. acute kidney injury, acute renal failure. So um, that's where I got my career started, stayed there as a staff doctor, and I've been at the University of Calgary's vet school for the last eight years now. Eight years, wow, time flies, huh? Yeah, it flies. So you go from the big city to? Calgary. To the cow town? Yeah. To the cow town. Yeah. So that's yeah. a big change. Not the dog town. Oops. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. See how easy it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that um, is its official nickname, I think, yeah. isn't it? Cow town it is. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Montreal, New York City, cow town. You got it. That's right. Mm. <laughs> how are you feeling? <laughs> feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. You like Absolutely. cows? Uh, um, well, I, I like the Rockies. Yeah. I like the Rockies. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful. city. For yeah. Me. Yeah. So, and, and how far is it from ski area? It, honestly, door to door, 45 minutes, we can be at Ski Hills, yeah. which is fabulous. Yeah, and we're nice. big outdoor people. Yeah. So, if you, yeah, if you're an outdoor person, you know, you like mm-hmm. hiking, like canoeing, you like skiing, you like yeah, you know, mountain all of biking. That. Mountain biking. Yeah. Awesome. yeah it's yeah. a great area of Canada yeah. to live in. Absolutely. Yeah. It gets a little cold. It does, but surprisingly less cold than I find than here in Montreal because there's no humidity. It's mm. quite dry. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. it does snow. It does get cold, but you just don't feel that bone chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Ottawa and Montreal are more humid, and mm. I think I, I, it just feels colder, doesn't it? It just right. seems to bother you more, I think. Yeah, but in mm-hmm. Ottawa, it's the extreme. It's like really hot and really cold. It can be. Montreal, too. Right. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we can be like plus 30, like 35 in the summer and like minus 35 in the winter. Right. Yeah. yeah. And in Calgary, the summers were usually around 25, 27 yeah. degrees. So yeah. it never gets to that. It's actually more moderate climate, strangely, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on the prairies. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Well, you're yeah. welcome to come and, over one oh, yeah. Of course, of course. No, now I'm yep. coming. And I'm, I'm ready. He's really. ready. Um, and, uh, and so uh, next to skiing and outdoor, what is your function at the university? I'm a senior instructor there. Mm-hmm. Um, so my job there as a tenured professor now is uh, mostly lecturing and mostly clinical work and clinical teaching mm-hmm. with a very small research component to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do so you like the best about what you do? You know, I love the combination. I love the ability to do both. You know, so one week in clinics, one week's teaching. It's just mm-hmm. a fabulous mix. Mm-hmm. Really keeps me engaged and I have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And uh, we get to do a lot of team teaching as well, okay. which is something we've done here at Wasaba. My colleague, Dr. Boys, and I do a lot of team teaching. Yeah. Uh, so really something to engage the students even more. Yeah, I think it's more engaging. It's more interesting um, as an instructor, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I know when I've done like lectures together or wet labs together, you know, we have one or more people. Team teaching yeah, we do. well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you get any teaching actually done? Or really? <laughs> yeah, that's debatable. Or, or, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's um, a good point. Good uh, point. Ask us uh, tomorrow morning when we're done our lecture tomorrow morning yeah. again. Yeah. Oh, I'll definitely have to yeah. come to that. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, but it is more engaging. It's, it's more fun. interesting too, right, yeah. for the instructor. Agreed. Agreed. And you get to mesh different viewpoints and and uh, different experiences together. So I kind of like that yep. too. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So is that is that an, uh, a bit of a cultural ethos in Calgary too that you guys do? I have to say the faculty is very open to yeah. different teaching styles mm-hmm. and wanting to encourage innovating teaching, which is really good. I, I think the whole university is. Yeah. Um. So it's something we started and they've really embraced and we're yeah. able to do it in multiple different classes, which has been great. Yeah. 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 Calgary's um uh, an interesting school within Canada because it operates differently, right, from right. other schools. Yeah. So it's more on the sort of distributed model, I guess they call it. You've right? got it exactly yeah, for yeah. clinical uh, clinical work. For the yeah. clinical work and yeah. the rotations. Yeah. Yeah. So your students are uh, so just describe just how that works at least yep. at Calgary. So um, all of their fourth year is done out in the community, mostly okay. in Alberta, yeah. and um, they have some mandatory rotations, but again that they do with the practitioners out in Alberta, so they yeah. get to learn right away you know in the clinics and they get to see live real cases they they handle money they talk about finances you know they see real clients
experience. There's no, you know, no fluff, I guess, in the between. Mm-hmm. It's just a very mm-hmm. different model. There's mm-hmm. pros and cons. There certainly are. And now that we've graduated enough classes, we're looking at that model and seeing how we can standardize that teaching a little more. The students do also rotate through us, the okay. specialists, because we practice out in the community in specialty hospitals, equine, bovine. Uh, you know, I'm not so sure I realize that. Animal. So yeah. you don't have a clinic in the university itself. Mm-hmm. So where do you do your one week uh, every other time, every other week uh, clinic work then? Yep. So I do it at uh, the care center, which is a big specialty practice there. Mm -hmm. So when I'm at the care center with students, I'm part of the university, even though I'm slotted into the CARES team. And it's kind of a win-win-win for everyone because they get an expertise. Um, They have another specialist. And then for me, I have a a large private practice case uh, base as well as students get to learn on the go. Hmm. And then don't you miss research? Because 10% doesn't sound like a lot. No, I'm actually not very research driven. um, And I do have some clinical research, but again, that I usually do with other people as well. Mm. Uh, But no, I'm not a a big research driven person. I definitely found myself, I think, in the teaching. Yeah, you know, one of the great things about veterinary medicine, I think, is there's lots of ways to be a veterinarian, Mm -hmm. right? And if you can find your niche, like what, and you're really lucky, right? Because you found that mix that works for you. Yep. Um, so I, I think that's one of the one of the things that um, vets should should realize, right? Like not all um, veterinary medicine is just circumscribed by being like a general practice vet. There's many ways to right. be a veterinarian. Right, thousands and one ways. Yeah. There probably is if we yeah. counted them. Yeah, yeah, there really is. So it's, Agreed. you know, if you're not happy with where you are, like start looking around, right? right? There may be other ways to be a vet. So. Yeah. And what For is sure. your favorite subject? We know, but yeah. we want you to say. <laughs> we want you to say. Yeah. Well, we, we, we think we know. Yeah, we, we Definitely, we know. Yeah. you know, to me, the most two most important important organs in the body yeah. are the kidneys mm-hmm. uh, people make fun of me for that that's, uh, that's two already uh, that, that's yeah. right yeah that's exactly right, exactly <laughs> uh, so the kidneys and, and probably the bladder being a, a distant second yeah. but a close related cousin yeah because the, the, the bladder is related you know? exactly yeah because yeah. yeah. without kidneys what grounds. are we exactly yeah. there you go so what are we yep agreed yep. that is true that's yep. true we're lucky that we have two though yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are lucky we have to. Yeah, absolutely. there's probably a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. yeah. So in feline medicine, of course, that's a big deal, it right? Is. It's mm-hmm. a really big deal. So yeah. um, all private practitioners know that uh, uh, the number of uh, middle-aged and senior cats that are going to eventually struggle with uh, chronic kidney disease is pretty big. Right. Right. And um, I know you've been part of a, a recent guidelines group that's mm-hmm. come up with some rec- recommendations, which are fabulous, by the way. Mm. So I recommend them quite often. We'll put a link in our uh, on our yes. website. We have yep. perpodcast.net is our mm-hmm. website and all our show notes go there. Mm. So I'll make sure there's a link um, awesome. there to the, um, the chronic kidney disease guidelines. And I love them because I think the group of people like you who put them together made sure they had a very practical content right. to them. Yeah. yeah. And that was truly your goal because yeah. I think... For, for it to be adopted and understood, it has to be something that's easy to use and practical. Yeah. We yeah. see a lot of guidelines, I think, that are like very academically oriented. They're very good literature reviews. Yes. And they're very good like consensus, but it doesn't like come down the next step. Right. Right. And say, okay, for you, you know, um, Dr. Smith in practice in Aurelia, Ontario, right. how do I um, apply this? Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, why don't we just talk a little bit about some of the things that are in the kidney sure. disease guidelines yep. that that um, are really a and practical where, where and useful. So, um, in our favorite journal, of course, <laughs> the of Journal course. of Feline Medicine you know, and Surgery. <laughs> you know, we are really good employees. I see that. That's pretty darn good. I was like, don't they know? Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. No, it's just another excuse to make sure we mention yes. the Journal of Feline yep. Medicine and Surgery. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and one of the great things about um, that journal 
because it is uh, the journal for both the American Association of Feline Practitioners and the International Society of Feline Medicine. Yep. Um, is that any guidelines like that as we that we produce, as you know, are always available for free. Right. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. You don't have yeah. to be a member. Fantastic. Yeah. So I love that. And that's a way to get them widely distributed. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So anyway, so they, um, getting back to the, the uh, kidney disease guidelines. Yep. So yeah. So as you guys were putting those together, let's talk a little bit about sort of what your goals were and what you thought would be the most key uh, practical types of things that you wanted practitioners to know. Yep, for yeah. sure. So um, we, we looked at all the evidence out there, all yeah. the papers out there, all the research, and we tried to use really grades of evidence to make right. our hardest rec- or, or more strongest recommendations. Right. And, you know, where there was less evidence, we try to justify why something might might be good or not good yeah. and why, you know, mm-hmm. but also to appreciate the clinical aspect of the patient. Um, so for instance, grade one evidence, diet, you know, that's yep. that's not, you know, I mean, the evidence is very yep. clear. It's very, been shown multiple times. Very solid. So we made that, exactly, we made mm-hmm. that very clear where it's applicable also in chronic kidney disease. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was a very easy section, I think that we all agreed on. Yeah. Yep. And that's, that's good that you say that because you are with multiple people and mm. to get people to agree on one thing <laughs> yeah. is already yeah. really, really yeah. tough and yeah. really good. I've yeah, been on exactly. enough uh, guidelines and I consensus know. groups to yeah. know it's not easy. It's I, not I, easy. I think the one that showed me the, we, we talk about stones tomorrow and yep. we have the ACM guidelines on stones. Yeah. Yes. And you read in those guidelines the tension. Yeah. Yeah. You feel it. Between right? certain yeah. people that we... Obviously, yeah. no. Yeah. Right. No, it's it's very funny. Yeah. But it's that. the nature of the beast because we is. don't always have enough evidence. Right. Yes. And we all come with our own individual patient population experience to the table, which mm-hmm. mine might not be exactly the same as yours. Right. right? So yeah. I think this is natural. Um, but the you know the magic is trying to get to a yes. core consensus on <laughs> things. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. it was a it was a fun group to work with. You know, I think I think it was a lot of fun, and and the consensus came out really well. And yeah. There was not so much of that. Um, yeah. You know, that's yeah. good. That's good. Yeah. So you all felt pretty uh, coherent. Co- Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so diet, best evidence mm-hmm. we have for diet. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. as we start going down from there, so what other things um, are, are like immediately useful to the practitioner? Certainly proteinurin hypertension. Yeah. So yeah. substaging, looking yeah. at iris, obviously mm-hmm. following those guidelines and looking for proteinurin and hypertension, screening for those, yeah. mm-hmm. not waiting for them to, to appear. Oh, really that's yet. so important, yeah. right? You mm-hmm. know, um, if we wait for them to appear, uh, which is, I think, a bit of a default attitude, sure. right? Yeah. Um, uh, we're not going to do our patients as much good. Um, and especially for things like hypertension, you know, your typical um, silent killer. Yes, right? exactly. You, you've got to go looking for yep. it. Mm. That's a really good message. Yep. Yep. And same for proteinuria. Definitely a silent killer. Yeah. And, you know, by the time it becomes a problem, it's yeah. it's already you, you're all, You're already, yeah, you're already working. Was there a consensus on how you diagnose them? Uh, using the urine protein creatinine ratio. Okay, so, yeah. so that's the for the... Proteinuria. For the proteinuria, yeah. yeah. Hypertension. Hypertension, if I'm not mistaken, above 160. Um, yeah, yeah. It becomes problematic. Yeah. But I think I think we're all starting as a profession to look at that and wonder if the 160s are a true mm-hmm. barrier. Because I know in humans, if I'm not mistaken, they're looking at it way earlier as way a risk earlier. factor. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and we've even seen with the the, the latest um, uh, hypertension, you know, uh, uh, classifications. Yep. We've got that, you know, a pre-hypertension in there right. now, pre-hypertension, right? Because right. it's kind of pushing yeah. our boundaries back further. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if that gets pushed back even further, right? Right. Because you start looking at there's, you know, there's a few, and you would know this better than me. There's a few um, uh, studies looking at cats, like in 
not necessarily in home environments, but at least in, in where they're not being handled every day to get blood pressure, like telemetry studies and that. Yes. Those guys yeah. are pretty low. Right. You know? Yeah. They're walking around at like 110. Right. Which you is know? crazy. Yeah. For right? a cat. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you start to say, we, we treat at 160, like, pff, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a big mm-hmm. gap. Yep. I, yeah. I think general yeah. vets struggle with doing <laughs> correct hype of, you know, blood pressure measurement. Can yeah. you help them a little bit? Oh, oh. It, it's definitely stressful, especially for do. a feline population, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, to try to reduce that anxiety um, is, is yeah. certainly going to yeah. be key. Yeah, we have you anxiety. Know, the cat has the anxiety. The cat has anxiety. You know, so of course, removing the, the white coat, mm-hmm. trying to maybe get the blood pressures first first thing you do in the room, mm-hmm. trying to get blood pressures at home. Uh-huh. I know some people have done that with yeah. uh, pet maps, for instance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you have more. more we uh, do a lot of house calls for House them. calls, right? Yep. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and what's your preferred method that you use? So in, in cats, and again, you you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think the consensus, we don't have great data to know no, what's the best, we don't. but I think probably most commonly are we, would either be a Doppler or, or an HDO high, uh, high definition os- Oscillometric. Oscillometric. Yeah. I trip over that word every time. Yeah. High definition. It's amazing I did it. French is my first language. So. Yeah. 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 So it's a toughie. Yeah. yeah. So I think, isn't yeah. that kind of the consensus? Like mm-hmm. those would Agreed. be the best in cats. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, the yeah. smaller patient, always a little harder to. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Harder to do. Yep. But there's great equipment um, available now, more than there ever. There is. And, and I think people are taking blood pressures a lot more mm-hmm. versus, you know, maybe 20, 25 years ago, people may not have had a Doppler in their practice, no. right? You know, they had an SpO2 monitor, yeah. didn't have Dopplers, didn't have oscillometric techniques. No. So certainly, so again, yeah, proteinuria, hypertension, substaging, very yeah. important things. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. also probably important for us to mention that since we're talking about iris staging, mm-hmm. that it is not a diagnostic tool. No, thank you. Yeah. And that when, it, when <laughs> I lecture... I always remind people to first yeah. diagnose chronic kidney disease. And yes. how do you do that? Yeah. Well, you need evidence, of course, of azotemia yeah. that is chronic and that it's the kidney's fault or most yeah. of the kidney's fault. Yeah. In other words, ruling out those ureteral lifts and ureteral yes. strictures are post-renal causes. Yes. So I'm guessing, like me, you're a fan of getting at least one set of radiographs. Oh, absolutely. Cats? Oh, yeah. And that's, that's what I recommend is when you have azotemia in a cat, last thing you want to do is put on blinders and say it is chronic kidney disease. Because that cat that has ureteral lifts isn't going to follow that iris mm-hmm. staging after. It's not going to respond potentially to the same treatments yeah. or be as well, yep. which, you know, is going to be, you know, unfortunate for the cat and yeah. the owners. Yeah, because you've missed the real problem. Exactly. And it's getting, I mean, it's not it's not uh, necessarily readily available to everybody, but it's getting easier to deal with ureteral lists. Absolutely. Certainly than it, you know, was 10 yep. or 15 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. There's more and more people doing like subs and stents and, exactly. and things like that, yep. right? So yeah. it is blood work, urinalysis, radiographs, anything else? Uh, blood work, urinalysis, radiographs, I would say is a great start. And uh, urine, urine protein Lucasine. creatinine ratio and, and blood pressure would be some of the things I would blood recommend. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Let's talk yep. about proteinuria a little bit more because mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of controversy. I, I don't know about on the D side, but on the mm-hmm. cat side, it's like, yep. when do you start treating? And I have a little bit of a of a difference of opinion yep. with with published guidelines who want you to wait until they're at 0.4 and I'm uncomfortable with that. How do you feel about that? We're on the same page. Um, And and so, you know, I think right here, let's write it down. (laughs) I think, you know, there's, there's at least two papers that show that a UPC above 0.2 could be problematic for those kidneys. Mm -hmm. Now there is also, um, I think some people that promote just starting ACE inhibitors or ARBs, uh, angiotensin receptor blockers right off the bat for chronic kidney disease. Mm. I'm not quite sure what the evidence is for that. And, and I am worried about that. I don't yeah. know what your thoughts yeah, are. Yeah, I think it's a, but you know, I think it's a bit too cats. soon and it's a cat, Yeah, right? They're, they're, Why give them a pill they don't necessarily need? Exactly. Yeah. That's it. That's it. 
So, yep. You know, yeah. I like my fingers is really yeah. what it comes down to. And well, and you want the human-animal bond to be preserved. Yes. Right. Right? Yeah. So we have yes. to be quite humane. Yep. Um, these renal patients can end up on, like, so many meds if you're not careful. Exactly. You know, what I call the renal aid kit. Right? Oh, we, I've heard you say that. I you know, love we, that. We tend to yeah. sometimes, we want to help that patient. Yeah. And we bring out the bag of renal mm-hmm. aid kit mm-hmm. that has subcu fluids, phosphorus binders, you know, antacids, which I'm sure we'll talk yeah, about. Good, good. You know, phosphorus, you know, uh, mm-hmm. just five different, six different things, that owner's going to come back in a week either yeah. to euthanize that pet yeah. or yeah. Well, won't Give come back. Give it all back, back and then they're back, not, never going to see you back. again. They're yeah. just going to, they're going to take their chances exactly. and, and leave the kitty alone. Yep. Yeah. So there's a, there, that's the art of veterinary medicine, isn't it? Is knowing like what's the best for that, for that patient. Yep. And, and that I think owner. it's also a big shout out to companies that we need to look at different rules. I mean, yep. yeah, it's, true. it's not all through the oral cavity. That's true. Right. Uh, yep. Because that's probably the worst route in the cat. So let's look at <laughs> other routes. Yeah. And I think some of the companies are picking it up yep. yeah. uh, with some of the products that we're getting. Right. So that's fantastic. Yep. Agreed. But that's something that we really need to focus on a little bit more yep. because polypharmacy in the cap doesn't work. No. Correct. I mean, that's the whole yep. Agreed. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page and, and uh, you're not going to wait till they're all like 0.4. No. Yeah, I'm no. happy at once. They're, I mean, cats don't commonly get proteinuric anyway. Exactly. Right? Like they're not yeah. a great species. I think less than right? 50%. Yeah. So, and so, yeah. you know, when you start to see them be proteinuric and it's a quiet sediment, you know, it's not lower urinary tract. Yep. I mean, that's not normal anyway, right? Exactly. But I think yeah. that it, this is the whole discussion mm. because if you have cats in early stage renal disease, so that's yep. stage one. Yes. I mean, should you already get worried? I mean, we have uh, a lot of the discussion question. that we uh, have because, yes. you know, do you want to switch them over as a diet change? Do you yes. want to switch them over while they're already really sick and they don't want to eat anymore? Yep. Or do you want to do yeah. it in the period that they're still happy? This is, a big, exactly. is this a big unanswered question? So I'm interested to see what do you say about mm-hmm. well, diet therapy and when? I'm excited that stage one is no longer a mystery. Put it yeah. that way, right? Yeah, because it's always, it's been, always been like, it's a, what do we do with that? It's stage? like, you know, who cares about stage one? Even the old Irish guidelines, I remember, I have a picture of them. Stage one had not even a line. It just said monitor. And then stage yeah. two had more recommendations. Mm-hmm. Stage three. Now, if you look at the Irish guidelines, stage one is actually the longest in the column. Mm-hmm. Why? Because now that we can actually diagnose them with yeah. our earlier biomarkers, mm-hmm. we can potentially not only screen for proteinuric hypertension, but you know, look at some new treatments. Maybe early stage kidney diets, for instance, or geriatric diets yeah. might be more appropriate. More modern phosphorus. Um, you know, so I, I think it just really breaks our paradigm yeah. about what stage one is and what we can do with it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because mm-hmm. it just it seemed kind of like why do we even have a stage one if we're right. not going to do anything exactly. about it? Um, but they're yeah. they're and, and it's concurrent with the fact that we are seeing companies make early stage renal mm-hmm. diets, which we never had. Yep. They have a, a broader array of dietary tools now. Exactly. That we never had yep. before. So. Yeah. And, and I think also you need to be a little bit more careful with concurrent diseases mm-hmm. and how you exactly. treat those animals because yep. they are at risk. Mm-hmm. So why would you do exactly the same that you always did with a, a case that's at risk? Thank you. That's actually that's perfect. You know, then if you know you have a stage one patient, you'll be a little more careful with anesthesia, medications, you'll monitor them a little more. We know that stage one's not benign. 30% of cats in stage one will go to stage two within a year. Wow. That's not benign. No. And those mm-hmm. cats are already losing weight. A study out of Tufts showed that. A lot of cats are already losing weight a year before. That's true. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it's like the earliest biomarker, isn't it? Exactly. Unexplained weight loss. Exactly. Even yeah. though stage one has been a mystery that is benign, it's not benign. Not benign. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm happy that we're doing a lot of research in this yeah. and being proactive. Oh, I love the way I, I love the way you phrase that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's yeah. We good. really need to empower veterinarians to intervene um, early. So I think exactly. they've been worried, you know. Yeah. And 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 plus, 
Um, up until now, we've been told there's no benefit to starting a cat on a renal diet before it has chronic kidney disease. Right. But we weren't diagnosing it till late anyway. That was the problem. Yeah. Yep. It's yeah. 75%. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. I mean, it's crazy. Yep. Mid-stage yeah. two. That's yeah. where we're guessing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's really backing that up. Yeah. Yep. So thank you for a wonderful first part of a per podcast talking about renal disease in cats. It goes so fast. I'm glad amazing. we're going to have another time so, to talk to yeah. you. So Absolutely. We'll be talking about a lot of other things still yep. in our second part. Yeah, which is in two weeks. Yep, including how we take care of the late stage cats and mm -hmm. and uh, what we can tell owners about that. So. Sounds awesome. Thank Great. you. So, thank you so much. Thank you. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yerla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at G-V-E-T-S-X. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at Per Podcast.